here. Whatever happened to that guy? I got probably moved to Phoenix by now. Probably did. I'll have him come back. You guys got the electrician moved back from Phoenix to come here to help you with the electrician stuff. He loves you didn't me. Do. He loves me. He'll do it. I got to be honest, man. At this point, it's been six months. It has not been six months. Arun, can you call Big guy, me, please? Big guy. Listen, yeah, tiny guy. It's been a few months. Come it's, on, big. It's been Listen, guy, several Just months. because you lost another 10, 15 pounds doesn't mean you can start talking shit, okay? He's not go, talking go, to, go look at your text messages. Yeah. You, you look real salty, man. You look so this is a bad. You, you look, look for salty you. from all the salty chips this you just is had. A, this is a bad look. Don't be look, now you're criticizing oh. his weight. You're coming at my diet. Criticizing, I'm complimenting. He lost 10, 15 pounds. Check out your phone. That's, oh, that's, dude, how yeah. many pounds is it now? It's what, like 18? 18 pounds. 18 Bro, you said he lost 20 pounds the first time you mentioned it. That was yeah, a couple weeks ago. This last week has not been good. <laughs> this last week. What did you do this week? Um, just a lot of eating. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, that happens. I understand it. No, you don't understand it. We understand it. You do not understand it. You're right. You just attacked a man for his weight. I didn't. I complimented him. And then you lied to the audience about the time that it's been since the last time we talked about the electrician. Yeah. It's a very confusing start for everybody. Did Did you or did you not say you were looking at another space for us? I physically was looking at one, yes. Yeah, and were you not considering it? Did I ever say not to bring the electrician oh, dude, in? Was he considering another space? Yes, he was. Did I ever say would not I, what, to? Why would, I, why would I spend more money in the studio? Okay. Wait, hold on. Let me finish. Would I spend more money on a studio that we might be moving from? Because I specifically said to you, either way, if we move out, it'll fix my dad's electricity no. problem. No. Thank you. Well, you did not. I did, You too. did not say that's that. That's called selective memory. That's, that's a lie. That's what that's called. That's a lie. That is not a lie. That's the truth. I don't, I don't remember that, Chris. Because I didn't say it to you, I said it to him. We were oh, in the room and you weren't here. Oh, how convenient! convenient. No, when no, he doesn't take no when trail. he doesn't take your side, all of a sudden you can't use him anymore. No paper trail. No paper trail. Okay, if I were to tell him in front of you, that still would not be a paper trail. <laughs> it's okay to us. It is. I consider that a paper trail. Same is, here. Okay, so this is how the non-lawyers think of paper trails. Yes, exactly. <laughs> this is yeah. why people need lawyers. Circumstantial hearsay is evidence. That's what that's called in, in the, the courtroom. It, in the THS thread, texting thread, yes. Not to be confused with sexy time threads. Oh, sex nice talk. pivot. Oh, sex talk thread. Yes. Nice pivot. So before we get there, kids, welcome back to the number one financial literacy podcast <laughs> in the world. Arguing with me to my right is my partner in time, Saeed Omar. And to my left, that's Chris Nahibi. Welcome back to the show, everybody. Behind the ones and twos, the man who joins sex talk on the regular and his end-to-end encrypted app, WhatsApp. <laughs> The one and only DJ Arun. <laughs> DJ Arun, I love this. Yeah. This has to stick. So, DJ Arun, uh, we were going to get burritos because we're worried about our caloric intake for the day. And uh, pre-show, yeah, that, that didn't really singe as much as it normally does. It's a Red Bull, that's why. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. You can tell, right? Monsters are much more crispy. Mm -hmm. In any event, uh, you... Uh, you were you put your phone in the uh, center console, and I happened to look over and see a WhatsApp icon pop up, and it said "Sex Talk." Care to explain yourself? Uh, yeah, it's basically a group chat that we talk sports on, but it's called Sex Talk. <laughs> I got to tell you, if I were married to you, and that was your explanation for Sex Talk in an end-to-end -end encrypted app, not not a iMessage or text message group, which every reasonable non-lying person uses. <laughs> um, non-lying person? Yeah, I just I just wanted to say that, uh, you know, end-to-end -end encryption seems very convenient for a sex talk about sports. Got nothing to hide. Nothing share to hide. Share it on the screen right now. I don't want you to share your <laughs> sex talk on the screen, but uh, just out of morbid shits and giggles... Uh, why do you use WhatsApp? Uh-oh. Oh, Chris. Why I'm, are you I'm, setting him up, dude? I don't I'm even just, know where this is going. Dude, I know, part. I know where it's going. Where, where is it going? Yeah. You want to call him out for not responding to the texture. You want to be uh, able to see what he reads and what he doesn't read. <laughs> I just asked him a mere simple question about the habitual nature of his usage of an app. Somebody in the thread uh -huh. likes to know when people read messages and when they don't. Uh, wow, okay, so let's just say hypothetically, <laughs> total example here, hypothetically, let's just say this somebody is a reasonable, rational person mm -hmm. in sex talk <laughs> who is frustrated with the lack of responsiveness <laughs> from one of the members in the sex conversation yes. about sports. I have oftentimes myself lamented to the two of you about the lack of responsiveness from at least one of you. Uh, okay, I was about to say there, Chief. 
So just to be clear, Arun, are you the perpetrator in sex talk for the lack of responsiveness? Actually, no. <laughs> oh, so he's responsive in the sex talk. Yeah, yeah that's better in our group chat. Ooh, no, no. Ooh, see, yeah. see, that was a ma- that was a misstep, sir. That, that was a major setup on my part because there was no positive way for you to answer. Either you incriminate yourself yeah. or you incriminate <laughs> yourself, okay? Right. Yeah. Are you guilty? Yes or yes? Right. Yeah. So you do respond to sports in sex talk on your end-to-end encrypted app, but you do not respond to our group text messages. Hold on, let me help you. Uh, you got to answer this the same way. Uh, Justin Bieber has been taught. Little Wayne has been taught. Basically, any major celebrity. I don't recall. That's it. I don't remember. Stop answering this guy's questions. When he goes down this path, you don't want to answer any questions. He's going to find a way to incriminate you. Chris, when you ask me a question, do I not respond? Wow, he's going to go down the path. Oh, this uh, is terrible for you, him. The best advice you just got was the best advice you just got. <laughs> I feel like that was a setup, too. What? Mine? No, no, I don't. I don't set you up, bro. They was trying to give you the free handout. Yeah, take this turkey boy and run. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Anyways, welcome back to the show, everybody. We got a good episode for everybody today. Hopefully, they're still sticking around after we uh, aired out all our dirty laundry. We, the title of this episode's got to be "Sex Talk." It's got. I mean, <laughs> I mean there's right? no other way. <laughs> it's it's <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. God, if my wife saw that come up on my phone, she'd kill me. Game over. Yeah, it'd be game over. Yeah. She'd be like, get the fuck out of here. Right. All right. So the National Association of Realtors has long had a monopoly on something called the Multiple Listing System, or MLS. If you don't know what that means, we're going to explain it. And I'm going to talk to you about something that has been a pain point of mine for a long, long time. And one of our favorite Instagram pages, The Real Deal, brought this to light in a recent article, which we're going to share. We're going to coast on over to a little bit of a an intriguing question of chicken and egg argument, if you will. Why is your home not selling? There's five reasons it sits on the market, but we're going to go over really the bigger quandary, the bigger question, and what this really means for a lot of the things you're going to hear about the housing market in the months to come. Right. Then there's a special case going on in Brentwood. Mm. Ball so hard. I know, right? I mean, come on now. How are you complaining about life over in Brentwood? Well, a poor, unfortunate individual living in a multi-million dollar home he built in Brentwood. He decided to rent out his uh, ADU. I know. You started going down the path. Multi-million dollar individual living in Brentwood. I'm thinking, mm. oh, is he talking about OJ? What's going on here? Wow. That's, you, are you, is that still taboo? I mean, I'm, Can you do just, that? I'm just being, I, that's what Brentwood is kind of known for. Well, OJ lives in Vegas now. Let's yeah. not tarnish an entire city because of one individual. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. I mean, come on, for a long time, it was tainted. And if you do want to talk about something that may taint a discussion, mm. do it in an end, end encrypted app <laughs> yeah. and label it something arbitrary and insignificant like sex talk. Like sex because talk. nobody will ever want to see what's in that conversation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so apparently an Airbnb tenant refuses to leave the property. This made national headline news, and I immediately called bullshit. We'll get into it. They haven't paid rent, or she, the 61-year-old woman, has not paid rent for 540 days. And for those of you who can count, that's almost a year and a half. <laughs> so uh, there's also some labor struggles going on at uh, one of the biggest in the healthcare industry. And I happened to walk right into this first morning of day of, which I believe is early this week. Mm-hmm. I'm walking into Starbucks right across the street is a Kaiser Permanente. Mm-hmm. Saw a bunch of people walking in trying to get their caffeine before they went to strike. Right. And I was like, oh, shit. They look like strikers. <laughs> get the fuck out of here. <laughs> yeah, I got a personal story for that, too. I'll get into it when we get there. And then we'll talk, if there's time, about a bond sell-off. And we'll probably wrap the private payroll conversation into the housing conversation. If you're a little weirded out by that, we're going to use a little something called a corollary. Mm -hmm. We're going to talk about housing, but we're going to use unemployment and wages to make the example. There you go. This is also an SAT vocabulary-sponsored show brought to you by Kaplan. (laughs) (laughs) Not yet. Yeah, not yet. But we are sponsored by Transcend HRT. More on that to come. No, let's give it to them now. You want to get, but the, we, the affiliate link ain't there yet. So the affiliate link is not there. So if you're feeling like you need to get on some peptides, peptides like dihexa, mm-hmm. help stimulate your mind, mm-hmm. or peptides like BPC to help stimulate your body, mm-hmm. just like Mind Pump. Yeah, <laughs> Mind Pump, Mind Pump. We got something for you, and let me tell you, it's uh, you're gonna hear a lot more about the stuff that I've done and what what has and has not worked for me, and uh, why I've been using. Transcend HRT for uh, probably 
um, I don't know, four or five months now. It's been and, a while. And I know, I know that it, it, it's hard to figure out because you've tried so many things, but your whole throat clearing thing that you have been struggling to figure out for a long time has gotten significantly better. Yeah, I think that could have been the BPC. I'm not entirely sure. I think there's an autoimmune issue there, but uh, I was actually talking to Transcend ironically about that as well. Think, tell, I was telling uh, our representative, like, hey, like, you know, I thought BPC from a stomach issue thing would have helped. It really helped my digestion. So I had like, I had a lot of bowel movements in a day. My stomach was always irritable, stuff like that. It, it almost went away overnight. That mm. was gone. I mean, just That's tangibly incredible. gone. Incredible. But um, there is another peptide which is really good for Im inflammation and autoimmune stuff mm -hmm. that I'm going to try, and I think that may help right. with the throat clearing. Right. So to be to be continued on that. We've got a lot more coming on that. But should we jump in? Let's do it. All right. From the real deal, here's why it's not so easy to drop NAR. NAR is the acronym for National Association of Realtors. Mm -hmm. Or if you're a surfer in Australia, uh, shred the NAR. Oh, is that really a thing? Yeah, it's G-N-A-R, but yeah. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. You don't surf? You do? Bruh. Bruh, you have never been able to successfully stand on a surfboard in the ocean. Come on now. That's insulting. Uh, I cannot stand up paddleboard, but I can surf. You can't, up, you can't stand up paddleboarding? Yeah, I can't do it. Really? I don't have the, I don't know what it is, like the motor skills. I tell everybody it's a penis weight, but um, <laughs> I know that's a lie. I know that's a completely immature lie, but that's that's the best I got. Yeah, Odun and I went. We went uh, paddleboarding in Costa Rica once, right, Odun? He was a paddleboard. Yeah, it was a lot. What's going on? <laughs> He's choking up. You got the Said syndrome. <laughs> yeah, no, you heard him coughing back there. Yeah. By the way, I've got a lot of complaints in my DMs about your coughing. Really? But I, I, I actually feel really bad about that, so I'm sorry. No, don't be sorry. I leave him in the show to piss everybody off. Oh, okay. But you have been relatively cough free. Why today. are you doing this? Why are you jinxing it? Jinxing the shit out of you, bro. Yeah, I want you to hack up that hairball right yeah, now. There you go. Give it's, me that hairball, it's coming. boy. <laughs> Mid sentence. All right, so Redfin announced this week it is requiring its agents to cancel their membership to the National Association of Realtors. So by way of backstory here, before we get into the rest of this, and some of this will be covered in, in the rest of it, the National Association of Realtors and the subsequent local chapters of the Association of Realtors really do have a monopoly because in order to sell a property, you have to use something called a multiple listing service or the MLS. That is the regional source for listings being listed, for properties being listed for sale yeah. or purchase or rent or whatever it might be. Now, certain sites like Zillow, like the like um, Redfin, tap into the local and national MLS listing information to give you all the listings in your area, right? But they have to subscribe. So they have to be part of the National Association of Realtors vis-a-vis -vis their local chapters in order to get that data into their system. So you can't disconnect. Well, why are they urging their agents to cancel the membership to the National Association of Realtors? CEO Glenn Kleeman, who I'm a fan of, by the way, pointed to the trade group's rules requiring buyer's agent's fees on every listing. Mm -hmm. So for those of you who don't know, real estate agents actually are required to do some things that you think are common in every day. So even if they wanted to say no, they say, hey, hey no, 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 you have to do this. You have to charge a fee. Right. The common question is, is, well, why? It's because they're trying to continue to increase the revenue of their people, and they don't want to set a precedence or a trend of people not taking money by listing one side of a deal and not the other, and maybe getting more commission on one side and not the other. Right. They're trying to keep balance and compensation for their brokerages. And there's a giant lawsuit right now going on with this, right? Massive lawsuit about, about this going on, which we really probably should get into on an episode where we talk about fiduciary responsibility, we talk about the, the the job of an agent, the job of a broker, and kind of the macro picture of the housing market. We should probably do the next one, maybe. Yes. And then we'll talk about maybe your idea of buying and selling properties in that one as well. It wasn't actually my idea. It was actually Odun's idea. but That's uh, why I hated it. Um, we wanted to find a way that maybe we can incorporate some of this information so get people ahead of the game mm -hmm. and so that they understand uh, you know, some key components on uh, how to buy a home and how to make sure that you know, everything checks out properly so you can understand this process before you actually have to go and do it. So to Saeed's point, Glenn Kleeman pointed to the trade group's rules because policies that are also at the center of two landmark antitrust lawsuits right now. And for those of you who don't follow antitrust and the laws, think of it as this. Basically, the assumption is that the National Association of Realtors is a monopoly and they have total and unilateral control over the industry. And because of that, Right. They can and do manipulate the market. Yes. 
And the big problem at question here is a lot of the homes that are maybe being pushed and put in front of people are the ones that are accommodating these buyer fees and the ones that aren't are getting pushed aside. Because the retail trade group, I mean, the, the trade group for the realtors, their primary responsibility is to look out for the members of their trade, the realtors, yes. not you, the buyers and sellers. So the rules preventing Redfin.com from showing for sale by owner listings alongside agent listings as core reasons for the brokerage is jumping ship. And they also cited that there's been a lot of alleged uh, sexual harassment claims. That's also really? Yeah, so this is actually, I got a, something from Redfin here, a statement that they released. Uh, we've made many meetings with the National Association of Realtor Execs to explore com uh, com uh, what is it compromises on the policies that would let us continue our support. Since a Redfin-wide initiative to join National Association of Realtors in 2017, we've paid more than $13 million in dues in an effort to influence the National Association of Realtors to advocate for an open technology-driven marketplace that would benefit consumers. That's true. So what they should have is an open API architecture to allow people to tap into the network and get access to listings. Right. So basically what, what they're saying is if I'm an owner of a home and I want to sell the home because you can sell a home by owner, right, that they're arguing that those types of homes aren't being pushed out, only the ones that are charging these, these fees. Right. So effectively, you were forced to go through a realtor to get your highest and best chance at selling your home because only realtors look to sell properties and buy properties right. from the MLS service. And anything that's not on the MLS service generally is overlooked. Yes, exactly. So to continue on, despite its sweeping objections against the group, which counts a reported 1.5 million members and $1.5 billion in assets across the U.S., Redfin won't be able to make an entirely clean break. Mm. At the heart of the breakup process are local MLS services, like we alluded to earlier, which fall under the control of the trade group. Mm. And as Kelman said, without membership to make it impossible to be an agent. Right. So you think of it from like if if you're a buyer, right, and you're and you have a real estate agent that's showing you homes and taking you out to see all these listings. The agent themselves is only going to want to show you properties where they're also going to get a, a kickback, right, on the sell. And it, do, it, it doesn't make it as legitimate if it's not posted, you know, on MLS. And here's some other food for thought, and this happens all the time. Let's say you're a Douglas Eisman, and I'm just picking somebody randomly. Nobody's been accused of anything. You're a real estate agent for the firm, right? Okay. And you have a client who wants to look at properties. The first properties you show your client are Douglas Eisman listings. Of course, So yeah. you're helping out your own people. Yes. Right? Right. Because you want to sell the firm's properties first because guess what? One of your people gets paid. The firm gets more money. You might get a kickback from somebody inside the group that you know, and you're helping a homie out. Right. And buyers should be very much aware of that. Right. That's not always disclosed because yes. it now if it's under the same broker, a pocket to pocket listing or something like that might be there. There might be some type of disclosure depending on what stage of the listing that it's in. But there's a lot of gray in the market. What I'll say is this, and I know and I first of all, full disclosure, I am also a realtor. Mm -hmm. Okay. I'm, I'm I've been licensed since I was eighteen, I think. Mm -hmm. So I, I have respect for the organization and I have respect for trade groups. But they better watch themselves because there's a couple of things that I'm going to say that are going to piss off a lot of real estate agents. And I, I do apologize. There are spectacular real estate agents out there. I'll be the first to admit, right? There are exceptions to every rule. But I would say the overwhelming majority of real estate agents are not good fiduciaries for their client and not seasoned trade professionals. So let me ask you, what what are some key things that makes you think that a real estate agent is spectacular? All right, so generally speaking, the seasoned, really good professionals, they approach it like a business and they approach it in a very communicative, transparent way, right? You want them to list your house? They bring you a presentation before you sign a contract with them which shows you, I've done homework on your property. I know all about the history. I've sold properties that are similarly situated in the market. Here's my history of performance. Here's what I think we can sell your home for. Here's my action plan for how we're going to do that. We're going to have open houses. We're going to list this property. Or if you're not going to do those things, explain why. 
explain what it's going to work and have a plan laid out. Mm -hmm. And then you sign. If you feel like this person is a person for you, you interview two or three, you pick the one for you. Or if you know somebody, you pick that person, you give them an, they give you an action plan and they report back to you on what's happening. Right. It's not this box. Now for the last 14 years, it's been really easy for any agent to sign up a property and it was fucking guaranteed to sell. Yes. Well, that, that time has come and gone. Right. And we'll get into that a little bit more in the podcast when we talk about the home value situation and what I think that really means and what you really should take home from it. But before we get there, I, I think it's, it's important to know, too, that with the Association of Realtors, unlike um, a lot so, – uh, appraisals institutes are a great example here. Okay. If you want to be an appraiser, you've got to work for – I want to say it's like 2,000 hours – for a licensed appraiser before you can do that. On like an apprenticeship? Exactly. Got it. A real mentorship where you're getting paid to do the work for somebody who's teaching you. And they're signing off on your hours, right? Yeah, the traditional master-apprentice relationship yeah. by all old-school thought. So I think that's really important. Another great example is if you wanted to be a CPA. Mm -hmm. you got to go work for a CPA firm and get audit hours in before you can do it. Do you, don't, don't you have to do it as well if you want to become a general contractor? A general contractor, there there are loopholes, and like I had the owner-user loophole. That's how I got my license. I see. I did enough of my own properties to qualify, but I had to have general contractors that were licensed sign off on my work. Makes sense. And and co-sign me. And then I had to pass two, not one, but two tests in order to get there. I know, and it's also a way that's for some people to skirt around uh, law school. For, right? So you can, you can actually do an apprenticeship, right? Oh, then you can take the bar. And then you take yeah. the, well, in California, you take the California baby bar, and then you take... The, Which most people don't know. That actually from a test. So typically speaking, the baby bars had very terrible pass rates, probably mm -hmm. because a lot of people who shouldn't be in law school take it. Well, explain to people what the baby bar is. I don't think maybe people don't know. I don't get too far off topic here, but effectively, yeah. if you go to law school and you go to an ABA approved law school, you don't have to take the quote baby bar. You just take the bar exam when you're done with it, right? An accredited law school, yeah. Yeah, and if you go to a non-accredited law school, you have to take what's called the baby bar. Now, I never took the baby bar, so I don't know the full experience, but I know people who have. Got it. Uh, the baby bar is more focused on a narrow portion of topics because you've only been in law school for about a year. Yeah. And you take this exam. But keep in mind, it's non-accredited law schools. Some people who went to online law schools and things like that. They were required to take the baby bar. And the pass rate for that is very, very low. Yeah. Some of these people are just trying to figure out whether they should be in law school at all. Yeah, figure it out. Right. But with that low pass rate, and at the time, you know, back in the day, California's pass rates were like 25, 27% or something like that. They're 27 to 30%, I think is what they were. So between those two low percentages of path, I mean, it was a real low probability of getting through. So mm -hmm. anybody with the traditional law school path was guaranteed better success. My point with all this is this. The bar for becoming a realtor is too low. Okay? I understand as a realtor you can work in the business and work for a broker. Right. But you're basically setting up sweatshop-like apprentices because you have to use a broker's license and everybody's gaming the system. You need to make it more difficult to A, be a broker, mm -hmm. and B, be a realtor. But I do like the idea of making the bar lower for individuals that just want to sell their own home. That's fine. And that there's total like owner. You can be go. You can be an owner user or owner builder contractor, right? Yeah. You can go build as many of your own homes for yourself as you want. You can go build homes for yourself and then sell them off one at a time under certain loopholes. Yes. There are loopholes for that. I totally agree with that. But if you want to be a realtor and you want to do this as a serious career. I would say there's an overwhelming majority of realtors who've done it as a part-time career. I did it like that for a long time, too. I get it. Mm -hmm. I get that it's a second source of income. But it should be a more disciplined, more apprentice-based learning curve, and it should be less salesy and entry-level. So, there should be layers to this. So let me ask you actually a question since you've done this for you know a long time, and I, know, and I personally know you've helped a lot of people, right? Um, for free, by the way, that I know you don't like to brag about, but you've done a lot of pro bono work with this. Um, what do you enjoy more? Do you enjoy more listing somebody's home or helping them find a home? Uh, wow. Okay. So it really depends on the circumstances. I don't think either one is any different to me. Really? Because for me, I could I could see the pros and cons to both because listing somebody's home in, over the last like couple years, sure, fine, great. Listing somebody's home now gets a little scary if it, it starts approaching that 45-day mark and you're like, wait a minute, why isn't this thing sold? Yeah, it pivots. It yeah. certainly pivots depending on the market and the conditions. If it's a buyer's market, a seller's market, yeah. it, one can be more preferable than the other one. Here's what I say. I typically do it because I'm doing it for free. Mm -hmm. I'm doing it to help people. Yes. So my goal is which whichever one provides the most assistance, right? Mm -hmm. So for me, uh, buying a property is interesting because I can use my commission to give it back to people at closing with their financing, and they can usually get credits. Yes. And this way, when they buy the property, they're, pay they're putting less in. They get kind of a present at the end, and it's all good. 
Right. When they sell a property, they still got to pay the other real estate agent if I'm not the one who sold it. Right. Right. If I'm the listing agent, I just listed it and somebody else bought a buyer. Yes. You got to pay them. So they don't really feel the same tactile benefit they would get from me when they actually get a cut. Even though they are receiving a benefit because they're not having to pay you for listing it. Right. But with the way way escrow closes on the buy side, they actually get a credit from me at close of escrow. So it's different. Yes. Um, Whereas the other case, I just say I'm not charging anything. Right. So it doesn't doesn't really feel the same way for them. Yeah. But for, for people that don't know that are still maybe out there looking to buy their first home. When you are uh, buying a property, uh, your agent receives somewhere roughly between 1% to 3% commission, right? And the seller typically pays that commission to the your agent as the buyer, right? And what Chris is saying is that if he ever receives that commission, he would give it off to somebody. So, and that was kind of where I was going. Yeah. So just if you know, one to three percent is kind of like the number that most real estate agents are getting per side. Mm-hmm. So here's what sucks: some basic fundamental things about selling a property. And one of the reasons I hate selling any of my own properties ever. I, I if I can go to my grave never selling another property, I'll be a happy guy. But typically speaking, you're paying if you're the seller, you're paying one to three percent for your listing agent, right? The selling agent is a person who brings the buyer, right? A selling agent brings the buyer. They're paying, getting paid 1% to 3%. But it's the seller of the property, the person who hired the listing agent that's paying both commissions. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. The buyer, the person coming in to buy the property, doesn't pay any commissions. Yes. Now, let me ask you a fundamental question, and I know this is going to ruffle some feathers. Okay. Or in Arun's case, some sex talk. Some sex Right? But um, is a real estate agent worth a good one? Worth. Oh, be careful, man. Four to six percent in aggregate costs. With today's technology. Obviously depends on what price point we're talking about here. Well, let me ask you a better question in a different way. Should real estate agents get paid a flat fee based on the dollar amount of a property? One million to five million, it's this. Does that matter on their experience? I don't know. I mean, this is all hypothetical. It's a great question. I would say, what if you've been in the game longer or you've got more sales historically than somebody else does? There's enough technology out there right now to have an open API and have everybody. And this is where the National Association of Realtors have to be real fucking careful, okay? If Redfin and Zillow really wanted to, they could build a competing infrastructure and wipe out the need for MLS. Mm -hmm. They arguably already have it, but they're tapped into MLS. Yes. They could bring that entire trade trade group down if they disassociated with themselves and this partnership went south. And it already sounds like it's starting with with uh, Redfin. It's, showing, I, it's definitely showing some cracks. So I don't know how this all plays out, but what I will say is I've long said that there are several professions which I think are going to be revolutionized in the next couple of years. And trade groups can ha- try as hard as they can to force people into their outdated ways. Mm-hmm. I'm an attorney too. The law firm profession, the law profession in general, is fucking massively outdated. This this seems very outdated, and I've actually seen MLS's website. That shit looks outdated as it's incredibly. It looks like it looks like a glorified DOS prompt page. Yeah, exactly. It's not the great. Some MLSs are better than others. I will say that. Okay, but it's antiquated system. Outdated terminology and technology. And even in law school, they're trying to replace legalese with more common like language so that people understand the contracts. The whole point of a contract is to be simple enough for both parties to understand, yet we throw in this complicated legal language to confuse people when you could be saying, instead of saying you know one word, you could be saying a much simpler one that people identify with, right. but attorneys want to sound like they're sophisticated and use these words that, that you know. If we talked about it on the last episode, it's not just them, it's economists too. Yeah. Everybody. Everybody just, want, everybody just wants to sound sexy. Yeah. Goldilocks, three bears, bull yeah. market. All of it. Yeah. Someone's getting the bear, someone's getting the bull. All of them, exactly. All of them. And someone's getting sex talk. Someone's getting sex talk. You know? Sounds like an unnecessary way to describe a conversation to me. Do you want to join the group? No, I, I don't feel like, I want yeah, no part peti- of that, bro. It sounds like you're petitioning, bro. I'm not petitioning anything. I'll tell you right now, there there is not one single Text message in my lifetime that will ever come up and say sex talk on an end 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 encrypted platform without my wife fucking murdering me, okay? <laughs> yeah. I love my wife. I love you, honey. If you listen to this, I love you. I am not part of sex talk. She ain't listening. She listens to the episode still? Yeah, she does. 
Every single one. Every once in a while. Occasionally. I'll pop into her car and it'll be on. I'm like, oh shit. Yeah. What party's listening to? All right. <laughs> yeah. All right, cool. Don't she didn't get to the end. Skip. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh yeah, no, she used to listen to the show. Your wife's been commenting on all the YouTube stuff. Yeah, man. She's she's been really enjoying the content uh as of late. She likes seeing us grow. She loves all the um how we're frequently posting now. It's a lot of work, man. It's a lot of work. It is, man. It's especially especially when like I don't know, I don't know, you recently just put put out a reel that you know, you were learning all the masking of uh on like the final cut. It was on through final cut, right? It was all through final cut. I've learned a lot about first of all, when we started the show, I don't know, jack shit about audio. Yeah. Right? Then it was I knew that like the mechanical audio equipment, like the mics and you know, the XLR cables. Then it was figuring out the cameras. Remember when we did that? Mm-hmm. The camera stuff was a whole, the lighting was a whole process. Well, lucky for us, we were living through a time where there's people online explaining it all, but that takes, all that takes time. You right? gotta, to watch a 10 minute YouTube video, then you gotta watch you know, somebody else's opinion too. I mean, that's the hardest thing. When I try to explain people like what we do, like on the back end of everything and trying to learn it, Yeah. explaining to people, look, this is the, 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 the most challenging and frustrating part when, okay, I'm getting creative, I'm really into it. Now I got an idea of how I want to make this, but I don't know how to search it. Yeah, dude, I, all the time happens. I don't even know what to Google. What I don't even, the words. I can't even put it together. Trying to learn how to mix and master the audio. Oh my god, was so fucking hard to learn because every time you Google like Logic Pro X, which is the the software that we use, yeah, it's all about mixing audio equipment for bands and shit. Yeah, and like making music. And I'm like, I just want to make music with my mouth. I, like I remember the first time <laughs> something happened on Final Cut where I lost the snap feature. Where you drag the clips and it just snaps together. Oh, that's a little click button on the top the right. Clip, uh, Probably little... took you an hour to find that motherfucker, well, right? No, this was like when I first started on Final Cut on my own personal family videos. Oh, okay. And it just somehow I unclicked it. I don't even know how I did it. And all, I lost that function. And I'm searching like how to bring clip and clip together quick. Like, I don't, what, what do you say? Snap feature. Oh, it's so hard. Yeah. And then there's all sorts of, so we, I learned, I learned all this stuff, the software, the technology. I'm still learning every single day. Yeah. I will tell you, it's really interesting to learn a side of the business that, now when I watch movies, oh my gosh! Like I see all the edits, I see the cut. I'm like, that's a bad cut. That's a bad cut. Yeah, that didn't go to the beat. Come on now. Yeah, who did this? Yeah, I'm better than this. Yeah, Christopher Nolan, call me, dog. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. <laughs> so, but no, I, I look at all that stuff now, and it's weird. I, I see like, oh, there's a movie coming out. Um, shit, it's one. It's, it's got a one word one word name. It's I just read an article about it. Fuck, I can't remember the name. What is it about? It was just it was a whole movie coming out in the theaters, filmed on Sony FX3. No way. Yeah, and for those of you who don't know, we have two Sony FX30s and an FX3 in the studio. FX3 is our main camera, and the FX30s are our two uh, B cameras. Yeah, let us know. Hit us up in the DMs or in the comments section down below on the YouTube channel if uh, anyone's interested in hearing how the we— creator, there you go. —how we built out um, everything in the studio. Maybe people would be interested in it. Yeah, maybe. I mean, there's a lot of information here. Yeah, I, I mean, I think we could probably— I would love to show people how to build a space like this. And the difference in the audio based with the, pan the panels that we got from just Amazon panels. Oh, my gosh. Shout out to Mind Pump for teaching us that, though. I know. And the aesthetic. For, for those of you that don't know and think that we're just ripping their style, no, this is our way to pay homage. 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 <laughs> homage. Well, if you're a part of the sexy time talk, you call it ho. Sexy time talk. You're just switching. It's sex talk, bro. Sex talk. I'm going to add him and make him an admin. I'm not. Get the <laughs> fuck out of here, bro. I can't be an admin on sex talk. Wife will never let me use WhatsApp again. Yeah. The fuck is this? Exactly. Uh, it's a sports conversation with a rune. You don't watch sports. You know you, nothing about sports. I don't. That, that would the, be the, only, the only reason why I even have uh, WhatsApp on my phone, anytime somebody sends me a video on iMessages that's over a minute, the video becomes really blurry. But through WhatsApp, you can send me a five-minute video off your phone, and it comes in crystal clear. Yeah, I don't want to know that. Really? Those videos are porn. No, it's when my mom was watching the kids and she would take a five-minute video while I was at work slaving away for you all day long. She would send me a five-minute oh, video. for me? Yeah, for you. You're slaving away for your family. I wasn't a shareholder back then. You were a shareholder, so I was slaving away for you. That that seems wildly inappropriate. <laughs> Factual. <sighs> this from the Wall Street Journal. Why is your home not selling? Five reasons it's sitting on the market. Mm, some of these are a little gimmicky, clickbaity. Okay. But I thought worth getting into for a deeper dive discussion. Right. So I will say, those of you who got into my stories today on Instagram, I, I do post, we post a lot of reels lately, but I also post a lot of articles and content similar to what we talk about on the show. Not all that makes the show 
in my stories. And there is a story that I had um, that I shared with uh, Dave Meyer, the data deli. Remember him? Oh, I love that guy. Yeah, great dude. Where he made a comment about something similar here, and I and I made a point that I'm going to raise to you and Rune, and I want to get your take on it. So you want to go through the five uh, reasons here? Yeah, I mean, we can go through the five reasons. Just give me the five high-level reasons, and then then I'll, I'll I'll put a more intriguing thought process out there. All right, number one, your house isn't staged, okay? Basically, what you all you really need to know from this, that's kind of gimmicky and clickbaity, right? But um, it's no longer uh, a seller's market, right? People can't afford to buy homes. You're going to have to go through, you know, all the all the hoops to make sure you sell the homes. You got to make sure everything looks right. You can't make sure you're not, dude, some of the houses that I see that are people posting online, it's vacant and completely outdated and they just don't care. They don't care how it looks. They don't. Well, because in the last 14 years, you could sell a property even if it wasn't staged at all. Right. And then there's also a whole thing, just spoiler alert. Some of these properties you'll see on MLS are virtually staged. Yeah. They take photos of them empty, send it off to an editor. That editor photoshops furniture in to give you the look of what it would look like. You get to the property to see it and you're like, what the fuck happened? Yeah. It's because it was never staged in the first place. I had a cousin. They also, there's a service out there. This this what I thought was really cool. Um, he was selling his parents' home uh, for them, and it was part of, like, an estate uh, planning sale, sale yeah. right? And they basically sold the house, and they, they sold all the furniture as much as they could, and then whatever wasn't sold before they actually listed the house, they just, included. They, yeah. yeah, they just threw it away for them. They took it to the dump. And whatever money they made, they got a certain percentage of that. It's like you don't have to deal with anything. They tell you literally don't lift a finger. Just remove any paperwork that you want to keep for yourself. I was like, wow, that seems really helpful. And he says it was like the best thing for them. Yeah, so, well, uh, a lot of the like the higher, higher-end homes, the mm -hmm. 10, 15 million, a lot of times the furniture is included. Oh, yeah. Yeah, a lot I of mean, stuff. For those type of – and they're, they buy furniture for that specific home. When they go to their new home, they're going to want – It's like art. Yeah. yeah, they want restoration hardware all day. I mean, it's also hard. That's you. I have a restoration hardware couch, yes. That's it? Uh, I think I've got two lamps in the house, maybe, restoration hardware. Maybe dining table, some dining chairs. Yeah, those two. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In my defense, the dining table is also where I do my computer work. Yeah, that that's factual. I don't have a desk because I don't have enough space like you. God, here we go. Number two on the list, your house needs some upgrades. So back to this, buyers are looking for move-in ready which is tied to affordability. People, you can't get away with not fixing up your home before selling it anymore. Uh, Odin, go to the next one, please. Let's see here. Number three, you're not flexible. God, this article is so bad. I know. Wall Street Journal, shame <coughs> on you. The yeah. best part about this article, for those of you who are listening to us, is the visual aids they're it's giving It's like a carousel. Them. Yeah. It's like a carousel the on carousel. Instagram. Yeah. So, but what we skipped over, which was the actually very first slide, which wasn't one of the reasons, which I thought was, back to our whole discussion, do you like helping people buy a home or sell a home more. Um, right now, 46 days on average, homes spent on the market, mm. right? And that's the scary part, right? When you start, if for those for those people that haven't ever actually thought about this process, I know that for myself, when I this last time when we bought our, our current home, if a home was on the market for a certain period of time, you're like, wait a minute, like, what's going on? Why hasn't this thing sold? You know, it looks beautiful to me. It starts It starts some doubt starts to creep in, right? So that to me seems really scary. If I'm promising somebody I'll help you sell your home and we discuss a price point, right? That's one of the one of these on the list here that, you know, you overpriced your home, right? And having a uh, an experienced real estate agent that knows the market really well, right? Uh, understands the current state of, of the economy and figuring out a pr uh, the right price point. Because if you overlist your house, right? Right now, buyers are already coming in offering 10% less, you know, at least right off the top. They, people just can't afford it, right? Um, and they know that it's no longer a seller's market. So figuring out that price point, and if, a, and if it goes past that 45 days, guess what? You're going to have to start becoming flexible. Mm. Okay. I mean, is that not how you look at it? Yeah, I, I do. I think uh, there's also some consumer aspects, too, to defend a lot of realtors out there that the problem that you wind up having a lot of times is, is it's mm -hmm. not the realtor who's pricing it too high. Yeah. It's the seller who who wants a certain dollar amount in his or her head. Right. And as a result of that, they uh, they are stubborn on the price. And I find that this happens um, usually a great deal of pride of ownership or there's usually some type of communication gap and trying to really articulate why their home should be like these other properties. Mm -hmm. 
everybody will, the pride of ownership thing can creep in and say, well, our property is different because of X, Y, and Z. Or in some instances, they're like, no, this is how much it's worth to me. And it's like, okay, well, that's not what it's worth to the market. So, yeah, that's why, you, that's why you get an appraisal. Yeah, it's it's tough. And a lot of times people will argue with the appraisal too, saying, well, that bad appraiser doesn't know my area. And it's like you turn turns around that, that appraiser's done like 17 properties in the area. So, yeah. you know, it's it's back and forth. But I don't always look at that as, as like the fatal flaw. I think sometimes a realtor will say, okay, you know what? I can't convince the seller to lower the price. Let's list it and let's see if we get any traction. Right. And, and if we don't get any traction, then we'll lower it back down. And they try to gradually get to a price so they know it should sell. And this is how like prices can slowly start to come down in, in neighborhoods, right? If you, if you overprice your house and by overprice your house, overlist it, right? Sometimes that could just very well mean like you listed it just as much as the last guy who sold it. But that last guy who sold it maybe was a couple couple months ago. Times are a lot different now than it was a couple months ago. So let's say you now have to accept an offer that's 25% lower, right? That's a big number, but okay. Big yeah. number. Or let's say 10% lower because that's what somebody offered you. And then let's say now someone else in the neighborhood loses their job, right? And now they have to list their home. And now the new price point is that home. But what if the market continues to go down the other way? Now they have to sell their home for 10% lower than that. And then slowly, enough of these things happen, maybe prices start to come down, right? Which is what I think initially Jerome Powell and the FOMC members thought was going to happen, right? They initially projected unemployment to spike up to 4.6%. That would have been over a million jobs. So that very well could have easily happened somewhere like in San Francisco or San Jose, somewhere in that area where the, it was tech heavy, right? Where a lot of people in the tech sector lost their jobs. I mean, I could have very well seen that, but that didn't seem to happen. And I know that they were kind of banking on that happening to help this inflation number get to where they wanted to get to. Yeah, I, true. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. So I think it's, it's, it's a real thing. I mean, the, the whole, I have a bigger problem with articles. You already covered number four, it being overpriced. Let's go to yeah, number five. The, number five, the last one, you just picked the wrong agent. Someone that didn't have the experience, right? Like you said, that's yeah. why I asked you earlier um, in, in your mind what is considered a good agent. So let me ask you both a hypothetical. Rune, is your mic over there? Is it hot? Yes, it is. Why? Well, because I want to make sure he's able to communicate all the sex talk. Okay, got it. Uh, you're happy with that, Ali you. <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> so I heard Dave Meyer earlier today talk about how, and he, he was saying in the context of like he's concerned about the market. So I'm not disagreeing with anything that he said. I want to be clear. He's one of the economists I very much like. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll plug his page on the bottom of the show notes. Yeah, yeah, the Data Deli, at the Data Deli, or at Data Deli. We'll figure it out. It's in the show notes. Uh he was talking about the housing market's in trouble, and he's concerned. Uh, Treasury's pushing up and mortgage rates going up. But he led off this conversation with the housing market's been pretty strong and resilient. And then I thought to myself, we're looking at this the wrong way. Yeah. Okay? We're looking at home prices as the barometer, right? As the measure for good market or bad market. Right. Home prices haven't gone down, so it's a strong market. <laughs> yeah. But then I thought, wait a minute. That's flawed. And I know we talk a lot about the show about lagging indicators and data coming in and aggregating all this information. I'm not even talking about that. I'm just talking about we're being very hypocritical. So by way of backstory, mortgage loan officers typically get paid off of a higher loan amount. Higher loan amounts are typically derived off of higher property values. Yes. Okay. Your real estate agent is getting paid a commission off of the sale of the house. The value of the home. Right. What it's sold for. Right. So because- The higher it is. higher it is, the more money they make. Right. So you'll find that almost everybody in the trade, in one form or another, gets paid more money based on the higher the home value. Right. So their solution to any affordability crisis historically, and this one is no different, has been rates need to go down because that's the only way this becomes more affordable. Well, no. Home values can come down. Yes. And this can be more affordable. But yeah. they don't make as much money in that, in that option. Right. So, and it's not so deliberate like that, but that's certainly where the trade organization on a macro does it. So they, and you believe it or not, the National Association of Realtors has a huge policy-making political component. They are always in, in, in White House doing the lobbying. And, mm -hmm. you know, they, they are pushing hard. Yeah. And they lobby for things like this. And it impacts us in ways you don't fully understand because they're making political moves to try to protect their trade and their trade group, which is fine. So they're supposed to do. I respect that. But at the same time, we look at jobs, and using this as my corollary or my example, we say a healthy job market has 
a certain degree of transitory migration. People hopping from one job to another job. Yes. And to represent that in a way you can quantify it, 5% unemployment is typically healthy. There's enough people going from job to job to where people aren't stagnant in one career, mm -hmm. right? That's one component of a healthy labor market. The other component of it is wage growth. Yes. Is wage go growth keeping up with or surpassing inflation? Right. Right? Because you don't want to lose your buying power, meaning is are your wages going up at a, at a fast enough pace to also keep up with inflation? So why does this matter and how does this relate to homes? All we're looking at is home values going up or down to signal a strong market, yeah. like wage growth. Yes. But we're not looking at transitory migration, jumping from one job to, to job, or number of sold properties. Yes. Which that has slowed down dramatically. Well, yes, it's, it, there's a sharp decline. So if home values aren't coming down because one half of this market is completely out of whack, that's a, that's a bad market. That is not a healthy housing market. Yes. And to just add more emphasis to this equation, part of the part that people just really get confused on, if you're not selling as many homes because the market is stagnant, it's going to take a long fucking time for values to drop. Yeah, exactly. Okay, values don't go down unless you have transactions to push them down. Right. And right now you're not seeing enough transactions. Right. I know we talked about it previously before we started the show. You know, realtors will say that um, in order for prices to come down, there needs to be more inventory on the market, but it's also, or rates need to come down. No, it's just not affordable. Demand without affordability is not demand. And I would argue the fact that as of right now, one of the challenges that you have is, uh, Ruben, would you pull up here? I uh, brought up All the, transaction house price index for California. Yeah, this is, the, this is the transactions plus house price index. It's a bit different. It's not just number of transactions, I believe. Yeah. The whole point of the housing market being healthy is kind of warped. I, I would disagree with the supposition that it's healthy. But you wanted to ask Odin and I a question. Or do you remember what it was? My question? Yeah, I do. Uh, my question to you both is, is this a healthy housing market? Do you think that what we're experiencing right now is really home values going up? In your mindset, if you were to guess right now, are home values going up? Are they staying the same? Are they going down? Is the housing market really bad? What's your perception of the market? I don't, I don't, this makes me, okay. This is really hard for me to personally answer because look, I benefit a lot from my, the value of my home not coming down. I mean, granted, I don't truly benefit from it until I actually sell the home um, that we're in because right now any gains that we've made is just on the balance sheet. I don't actually get to collect that money, right? I, or I haven't tapped into my equity, if you will. But um, I know that the whole reason why I am where I am in life right now is because of the move my parents made and they were able to uh, buy their first condo and that grew and eventually they sold that house and with that money they moved to the suburbs and they built their equity like we've talked about on the show. The middle class hold the majority of their net worth in their primary residence and it makes me feel really bad for those who cannot do it. And I don't see this becoming affordable for people for a long time because we know 90% of homeowners out there right now have mortgage interest rates that are 6% or less. People are going to do everything they absolutely can to make sure they don't lose their home. So unless home prices come down somehow or another, I don't know what, I don't know what, people, what people can do. So based on that alone, I don't consider it healthy. If people can't get in, that's not healthy. Arun, your thoughts? I'm on the same boat. I mean, we got a lot of people telling us a few years ago, don't buy right now, don't buy right now, wait, wait, wait. And if we had waited, I mean, interest rates continue to go up, like pricing of homes, they continue to go up as well. Like, I mean, kind of like what Said said, we have equity in the house now as well since we bought about two and a half, three years ago now. But if we waited, we could probably not afford the house right now. So. That's interesting. A lot of real estate agents will tell you if that's if you buy now, buy now, buy now. Would that same? Imagine you're trying to buy a home now. Mm -hmm. Imagine it's not two years ago, Ruin. It's right now. It's and, different now, though. And you were getting this. Is it? Yeah. Why? Because it's it's not affordable anymore. It's. I mean, rates rates aren't aren't the same, and I'm not getting the same type of house that I could have gotten two years ago, three years ago. Mm. Right. The sad part for me here is, and I know we talked about it on the show, and I agree with you that. Um, work from home isn't isn't the best scenario for you know the employer 
right? You're getting a lot more productivity out of people coming back to the office. I do think that there is a little bit of a healthy balance maybe with some hybrid scheduling, but let's just put that aside for a second. People are no longer able to afford where they're currently working at for the most part in these in these um, high metropolitan areas, right? They're having to be forced to move away, move out further and further. We I brought up a stat not too long ago that over the course of the last three years, when you measure the distance of people moving, you know, from one place to another place, it had been 15 miles on average. Last year, that spiked up to 50 miles away. Yeah, that's a, and that's a big number. That's yeah. a big... And, Think about it. we talk about gas prices all the time. OPEC isn't showing any signs right now of you know releasing more gas prices are here to stay for a little bit. I mean, people are going back to the office, costing them hundreds of dollars more a month just to come back to the office. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a huge strain on their wallet. So that part makes me feel really, really bad. And they're have, being forced to move further, further away, meaning they're gonna have to com- commute more, meaning that's just less time with their families. So I talked to a uh, commercial broker today. We were actually visiting some spaces trying to figure out some logistics. Yeah. And I asked him uh, about the market. And I said, hey, like, you know, what are your thoughts? And he said he saw an interesting trend where even the large, like, law firms that he typically got into bigger, like, kind of these luxury, big-ass high-rises, he said that they're all moving to farther away themselves. They're moving out of the major metropolitan cities. Wow. Because they want to be in, in you know, different, like downtown Los Angeles versus Monrovia. Yeah. Uh, you know, non-high rise, probably three or four level mid-rise mm-hmm. with a full normal ground level parking lot, no parking structure. Yes. And he said people just want that lifestyle for their employees. Mm-hmm. What I would like to see, and I don't know if this is real or not, what I would like to see is a world where employees are no longer micromanaged where they're allowed the flexibility to be adults and manage their own time, mm-hmm. but still come into the office. I don't think you should be forced to come in every single day at 9am. Mm-hmm. You got kids, you want to drop them off at school. You want to stay a little bit longer. You want to get your hours in somehow. You want to work six hours in the office and then two hours at home or whatever it is. Right. There, there's gotta be some healthy concessions on both sides Obviously, this doesn't work for every industry. But Certainly doesn't work for every industry, and I understand the equality issues, but there should be a way to accommodate everyone with some type of benefit, which relies heavily on them being an adult. Yes, I completely agree. I also think that there's something to be said for the, what we thought was professionalism is dying. Yes. I don't know that I walk in and see somebody in a suit and feel professional in front of me anymore. Mm-hmm. I don't know. And I love suits. I love suiting. I love dressing up. I love all those things. But I don't know that it has the same value that it once did. I think people being more comfortable and be willing to work means more. Something as small as that would actually goes a long way. I remember when our offices first started that, mm-hmm. it just made the environment that much more comfortable. It was vibrant. It was. Yeah. It was happy. It was happy. Chip. And then you Joy left Joy. me. What? You kicked me you off. Me. Well, you know who didn't get kicked out? Tell me who didn't get kicked out, baby. Segway. Once, once again, according to The Real Deal, Brentwood Airbnb tenant refuses to leave or pay rent for 540 lovely long days. Wow. So a tenant stayed, agreed to pay, chose not to pay, and said, I don't want to leave. Yeah, but there's a little bit more something. Something as I'm making the eight ball hands. I was just going to say, Odo, you're not going to say nothing? This is crazy. I was, taking, it on purpose. I was paying homage to you. <laughs> this is crazy right if now. If I were to shake the eight ball with my hands cupped. My eight ball? Your Saeed's eight ball, which seems to be really big in my hands. <laughs> if I were to shake his eight magic eight ball and say, what's really going on here? Tell me the truth. If you want to see this, you can head over to our YouTube page. Yeah. <laughs> Make sure you smash that like button. Hook up with that uh, notification bell. And what's the other one? I forget it, man. And uh, sex talk, the like button. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a legal conundrum could allow a short-term occupant to stay in rent-free forever. So I, I know this whole thing is going to sound really bad, but I want you to take it with a bit of pause because there is certainly a backstory here that was not covered well in the article. She may be the ultimate squatter, a woman who rented an Airbnb guest house in the hills of Brentwood hasn't paid rent for at least 540 days, Mm. and she refuses to leave. Elizabeth Hilchhorn, or Hilchern, I can't, I don't know, 
whose Airbnb stay ended in April of last year, claims she has a right to stay. While a judge has ruled that, under LA's rent control law, there's no legal reason to evict her. So crazy, man. She has refused to move out unless the property owner, uh, Dr. Sasha Jovanovich, pays her a relocation fee of $100,000 according to a settlement offer. A relocation fee of $100,000. Now, I know that sounds like extortion. <laughs> and I read the article, that a separate article outside of the real deal here, uh, that I originally saw this on, I think it was Apple News. I'll try to link it in the show notes if I can find it again. But um, I found this sensational because, I, first of all, buying tenants out is not an uncommon thing right. in some areas. Downtown Los Angeles, especially in rent-controlled areas. Because of rent. Explain, explain that. Explain that. Why? So if I'm a property owner and I'm renting you a unit under market value because I haven't been able to increase the rents, you've been there for a long time, and I haven't been able to increase you at the same cadence that rents have gone up, I may be able to get you out of that property that you're renting for $2,000 a month and rent it out for $4,500 a month. Right. And that might sound like a slight increase to me, the landlord, on a monthly basis, but what that allows me to do is borrow tremendously more against the property from a cash flow perspective. Right. Because yeah. as an underwriter, when I'm underwriting this property, remember, these types of properties are not being underwritten based on how much income the owner of the property is making personally. It's how much income is the property generating itself. Exactly. Gang. Gang. Like that? I do like that. Okay. so go Is ahead. that what sex talk is like? <laughs> do they, you think they say gang gang I, in there? I think they do. That'd be kind of, that, that's a slippery slope under sex talk. Gang I, gang? So you fuck around, hit that B button. It's a different conversation. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. I mean, it's sports, honey. I swear. <laughs> <laughs> he hates you so much right now. <laughs> Bro, I'm out of here. <laughs> <laughs> so in any event, I decided to go down a little bit of the rabbit hole. Uh, not not sex talk, but uh, the rabbit hole of this story. <laughs> and um, I decided that, you know what? I'm, I want to look into this a little bit more and figure out some of the logistics here. Okay. It turns out this woman, who is the holdover tenant here, who stayed past her date of exit, <laughs> she was 60 uh, when this whole thing started last year. She's now 61. Savvy. Yeah. She's not from the United States, it sounds like. It sounds like she's from somewhere in Europe. But mm -hmm. that being said, it, she went and saw an attorney. Turns out the ADU in the back of this man's property, which he built, and is a multi-million dollar high-end, beautiful property, kind of unique, interesting. ADU for everyone out there is just an additional dwelling unit that people can build, you know, on their property and maybe generate more income. Yeah, think of it as a guest house or a mother-in-law unit or something like something to that effect. But mm -hmm. you can now really add those pretty conveniently in the state of California. I don't know when his was added. It sounds like it was added when the home was built. Very popular now. Yeah, very popular now. It's a great way to build in some extra cash flow. And the way his property's built, there's a gate on the left where they can walk. She can walk straight to the the, the unit in the back. Have her own entry. Have her own entry, ingress, egress, the whole thing. Well, it turns out the unit was never permitted for the shower and the restroom that's in there. But it was permitted for the ADU itself. I believe that, the, well, the structure was the permitted. The structure, okay. But not those extra components. Right, which makes it... Uh, an illegal unit. Yes, exactly. An illegal unit is an interesting thing in the state of California. You can live in an illegal unit, uh, but it's not legal. Yeah, it makes it, <laughs> it makes it illegal, and and technically without it, if they were to be forced to remove the shower, it's considered inhabitable, right? Inhabitable. Inhabitable. Or yeah. inhibitable. Inhibitable, yeah. Inhabitable. ESL, right? ESL, English yeah, is yeah, second yeah. language? Uh, not trust me as a guy who stutters and doesn't speak clearly a lot. I got to tell you, I feel for your pain. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. It's only the economics. It's, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it turns out that, um, she originally went to him and, uh, and they tried to settle right. for less than the hundred thousand dollars. And then the subsequent settlements over a uh, hundred thousand dollars now, but this guy was strong arming her to leave. Wow. He didn't want to make any concessions. He didn't want to admit that his own, you built this, you knew it wasn't permitted. You put her in a unit that should not True. have been rentable. True. And it's an Airbnb. The he says that he's afraid for his life. This is a 61-year-old woman. Come on, man. Going yeah. in and out of the side of your house. So you know that you feel comfortable with strangers renting your property on Airbnb yeah. at whatever cadence they come in and out of, but you're you're not as comfortable with a 61-year-old woman that you know? Yeah, obviously. That's, that that's like a, a stretch. That sounds like a bit of a stretch. But we also know that, look, in the state of California— Landlords get taken for a ride, man. This is not a landlord-friendly state. This is one of the many reasons I, I like Oklahoma, very landlord-friendly state. Really? Yeah. yeah. Like, what, what's the big key difference that makes you feel more comfortable going out that way? Well, obviously, cheaper initial cost was, was yeah, my I biggest know, but driver. As far as but, being a landlord-tenant. Uh, I think most of the case law there is in favor of the landlords. I think in California, we've 
oh god, this is going to sound political, and I don't want to get people people to get political. No, you're not a slumlord by any means. Like you just talked no, about I, the other day. I'm not a slumlord by any yeah. stretch of the imagination, and I try to do the right thing at all times. But I think we've demonized like lawyers are, are demonized, bankers are demonized, and landlords are demonized, and I'm all three of those things. Employers are demonized. Employees can be demonized. So. In the state of California, landlords are looked at as, like, manipulative. They, they're the rich. They're the 1%. Mm-hmm. They're taking advantage of the little guy, the renter. In some cases, that's probably true. Mm-hmm. Okay? I'm not I'm not denying that's a thing. And there are slumlords. Those are real fucking problems. But not all landlords are the devil, man. Right. I would say that the, the laws in California are really focused on protecting the renter. Right. Because it, there, it is such a high cost to enter. There are so many renters here. Mm-hmm. There are so many multifamily properties here. So it makes sense that there's more litigation to protect the majority, which in this case seem to be renters. Yes. Versus in Oklahoma, there's not really apartment buildings this anywhere near the same clip they are here. Right. They're much more land rich and spread out. Mm-hmm. So you get a lot more landlords and probably more equal landlords than renters in some level in certain certain areas. So it's a lot more landlord fair yeah. friendly. A couple of years, just just a couple of years ago, the state, the whole state of California passed rent control. Yeah, so there's rent, rent control. Yeah. So, but that only applies, I believe, to multifamily properties, um, right? Not necessarily single family properties. No single family properties. There's concessions on year crazy. was built and frequent. There's all sorts of like loopholes and rules have, around I, it. I have a friend that uh, not like two years ago, it's actually what forced them to want to buy a home. The landlord that for the house that they were renting. Decided to raise their rents on them like fifteen percent. It was it was it was crazy. Yeah, no, he was I've just like he's like, oh, I'm I'm done. I'm done doing this. I'm not doing this anymore. I've seen it a lot, dude. Yeah, like the, the stuff that some of these landlords will do. It's kind of ruthless. The way I look, the way I try to tell landlords, like, look, if you're buying a property for equity upside because you want to increase the rents, yeah, like ah, that, that's that's a tough play. Like, I always tell everybody, if you're going to try to buy a property, buy a property that cash flows day one and try to improve that cash flow over time. Focus on over time. By doing it the right, ethical, legal way, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, and not all three of those things line up. Just because it's legal and ethical doesn't mean it's the right thing to do. Right. Just because it's the right thing and ethical doesn't mean it's the legal thing to do. Okay. There so you, go. you gotta you gotta kind of like pass. You gotta be thoughtful around these things. So we try to be consistent and lock people into the longest term leases. And I, I prefer to lock people into like a long two year lease. And no, I'm not gonna have to even worry about raising your rent for at least two years. Mm-hmm. You know, and then if they, if they're willing to stay, if they go two years, I'm always willing to discount the rent. You know, by 50, 100 bucks, whatever it might be. And if you're going to stay, hold over after two years and stay, sign up for another two-year contract, I'll probably bring you up a little bit, yeah. but nothing that's wildly dramatic. When you think about it in the context, you probably got a discount for the first two years, mm-hmm. and I'm going to increase you a little bit. I'm probably still under market. And I'm okay with that because I know I'm not going to have to worry about it for two more years. You don't want to have to worry about it. You got a happy tenant. You would hope, okay, now you're living in this place for longer. Hopefully, you take care of my unit better, right? Oh, so, most of my tenants, the overall majority of my tenants, take such great care of the property. Yeah. I f- and I, I feel like that's the element of uh, being a landlord that people underestimate. Because, you know, on social media, it's become so sexy now to invest in real estate and, you know, renovate it, rent it out, take out the cat and go buy another one. Nah. But people don't understand the management side of it all, right? It, it can be a headache if you don't know what you're doing. Yeah, property manager, good one. My, my sister is a good one, although she's expensive. They're, they're worth it. Yeah. You know, to... Be able to say, hey, here's your account, run with it. And I, I this is going to sound fucked up too, but um, I really don't want to be bothered with it. I want you to take care of it. Like I'm paying. Well, I mean, that's why you matter. pay. That's yeah. why you pay for the service. I don't want to be bothered with it. And I'm not trying to be like, so I got today, um, the portfolios are wrapped in different, different locations. So today I got almost $7,000 in like just rents paid. I didn't remember today was the day that was supposed to get sent to me. Oh, this is, okay, got it. So, and so that was uh for the month of October. You give them a grace period of this long? Yeah, I can't remember. I think that was like 5 units. Is okay. like, I think it was like 5 units something like that. It was 5 5 units. I can't remember how it was in, in that particular portfolio, but I think it was like 5. And then I got I got a check today, right? Yeah. So I pay the mortgages on those properties, which is probably just under 5 grand. That's 2 grand in my pocket. Wow. Yeah. For just for just that, you mm-hmm. know, and that that's a lovely thing. And if that's the way it's supposed to work. And like this month was probably, I think like, I think this month was like a thousand or two short for mm-hmm. that, that little pocket of real estate because we had some expenses. I think one of which was the, the and oven the, that we talked about. In the the way show. that it works is the management company take care of all the fees, all the labor, all the repair and maintenance, mm-hmm. all the utilities and everything. And literally whatever is left over the net cash flow, that's what hits your account. Yeah. And they have reserves that they can, so they can spend up to a certain dollar amount. After that, they can tap reserves. 
I'm not a stickler on like just send me like the exact same dollar amount every single month and repl replenish the reserves over time. Mm -hmm. Replenish the reserves, send me whatever's left. Like I keep a reserve in my account to make all the mortgage payments anyway. Yeah. So and I, now I used to have one account per property, and now I just have it all lumped into one big account. It just it works better that way for my accounting. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Got it. All right, cool. We got. Uh, uh, at the time mark maybe we save this one for the next one yeah we can talk about the, Kai the kaiser strike next time it'll probably develop between now and then anyway yeah and then um i think we'll talk uh one of the moms that i walk uh my kids to school with who also walks her kids to school mm. she she works for kaiser she was the one that broke the news to me but you walk your kids to school oh yeah is that the walk you go on every morning no the walk that walk is only about a half mile mm -hmm. yeah i mean that's you know that was the reason why we we bought the house I remember when when they wanted to meet meet us halfway because the appraisal got cut short and they yeah, yeah. they wanted to maintain the the listing price and uh, we basically met them in the middle so we came fifteen grand out of pocket that I, I thought to myself and I told my wife the reason why I'm paying this fifteen grand is so that I can walk my kids to school that's how that's how I envisioned it yeah, good you know and it's like it's a nice little seven eight minute walk just enough time to you know have a little conversation with them. You know, get them motivated and them to tell me about their day, and then they're off. We get to start doing that with Carter next year. That's exciting, man. Right behind our house. I'm not going to lie to you. It's my favorite time of the day. Is it? Yeah. I thought being with me is your favorite time of the day. No, that's not every day, my friend. Soon, uh, though. I think sex talks ruins favorite part of the day. <laughs> Arun? Are you there? Yeah. Are you sex talking? Yeah. <laughs> He's so upset. <laughs> Why are you so upset about this? It's your group chat. Why are you invading my privacy, man? Why are you looking at my phone when it goes off? Because it said sex. And you called me out on the show. My wife listens now too. Your wife knew about it. I talked to her pre-show. In the live on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> You're getting the man in trouble. I'm not getting him in trouble. And if you are in trouble, I will happily talk to your wife about your sex talk. <laughs> You had to know I was going to fire off on this one, man. It was too easy. <laughs> it was too easy. <laughs> All right. Odin, you got anything? No, nope, we're good. All right. He's like, just shut up. Hurry, end this episode. <laughs> end this fucking thing. <laughs> I'm going to get the edited version back. Every time I say sex talks, we bleeped out. <laughs> I don't know. Something happened with the audio. <laughs> yeah, the audio is all fucking weird. It's so good. All right, man. Got anything? Nope. I'm good. Make sure you go over to Apple or Spotify. Leave us an honest five-star review. It really helps out the channel. We appreciate it. Head over to YouTube. Make sure you comment Chris's outfit. Thank him for wearing shoes this time. Yeah, you know, cover up those toes. Yeah. I can't give you all my boobies all the time. All your boobies? Foot boobies. <laughs> They're foot boobies? People are obsessed with feet. You all wouldn't right. believe the DMs I get from God feet. Goddamn, man. All right, good night, everybody. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Wrap it up. You can't, you can't steal it. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs> Try again. Yeah. Oh, bye! <laughs>